Hello, and welcome to the final episode of Carrots and Suffering, a D&D Odyssey. We might come back, but only after a nice long vacation from editing and recording. So don't start here with this episode, start back on episode one. And remember, we did recap episodes every 20 or so, so that you can skip some of them if you still want to get to the end. We absolutely loved that you were here with us through this adventure. We want to thank a few people who got us here. We want to thank Dolly and Christian for providing us great fan art. We want to thank Navita of the Raven Girls podcast and Robert of Muse on Minis for their advice. We want to thank the cast of Adventure Zone and Venture Maidens for their inspiration. And as always, we want to thank Todd Ferguson of My Pet Machine for our tunes and Julie at Elaborate Flight of Fancy for our logo. Lastly, we want to thank our fans for keeping us going with positive thoughts and affirmations. It made our day every time we got a new rating or review. It made our week every time we heard from one of you directly. I really hope you found some inspiration for your own games in this world we created. At the end of today, we're going to do something a little different. We're going out not with our favorite musician Todd's work this time, but with a new person, Jacob Oland, a D&D parody songwriter and performer with an amazing voice who you can find on YouTube or Patreon. Uh, link is in the show notes. Boy, I guess I guess this is it. Uh, here we go. Last time on Carrots and Suffering. Our heroes are in the castle of the Fairy Queen and Fae. The self-proclaimed goddess of the beast within man has agreed to swap her heart with the deceased mother of our hero Sable and to work to rekindle the love she lost in her marriage with a mortal of House Verathi named Marigold. Our heroes are seeking to reforge a broken agreement, which was brought about disaster to the kingdom of Fenrir. Our hero Silpha has pledged herself to Byron Mason of House Mason in marriage and gained the title of champion of House Mason in order to negotiate this deal. But before our heroes could work out the final terms of their fairy oaths and pledges, the displaced heart of the fairy queen, born of power infused by her strife and grudges, a beast within her of thorns, has attacked our party. They're dangerously low on HP, and Silpha has called up one last illusion to try to buy them the time they need to overcome this wild and broken heart. From the end of the hall where the doors are, this kind of gust of wind seems to blow, and in walks some giant and exquisitely beautiful fairy woman with, I think, like armor and a crown that all bears some, some resemblance to thorns. This illusion addresses the dragon directly and says, Now, now, you're causing quite a commotion. What's all this about? Jalen's like, who's this bitch? <laughs> dragon is just going to be like, oh, it's an illusion. Rolls a one. Oh. Yay! Yes! <laughs> dragon turns around. What the dragon does is it stops fighting you, turns to look at this thing, and then charges it. And then slams through it, rolling out the door into the courtyard. The thorns beast punches the dragon in the butt. <laughs> Misses. Aww, my butt! Right in the asshole! <laughs> Miev thinks fire doesn't work, and unfortunately that's most of what she's got. But she's going to toss a magic missile at the wall over it. For a mighty, well, whatever, seven damage. Hey, it did some damage. Hey, hey, it's better than a poke in the eye. Which brings us back round to 
Sable. Yeah, so my <laughs> movement's going to be to get up, and then I can't cast spells in this. I'm going to charge this thing and, and bite its butt. Whatever side <laughs> is facing, whatever side I can get to. I'd like to go for a wing so it can't fly away, but... Okay. Charge it and bite. Okay. That's a 17, then. Misses. Damn. Uh, its armor is just too tough. Yeah, so I get hold of it, but I just can't do anything. Ow! 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 Fucking thorns! They don't poison you. It's more like... <laughs> uh, well, actually, it has a legendary action, which is going to use to tail slap the dinosaur. Which it does. Dinosaur knew that was coming. You get tail slapped for 15 damage. And now it is Jalen's turn. All right. So Jalen is also prone and she needs to get up. She's going to pull out both crossbows and shoot it from where she is. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, she gets a 21 and a 16. So the 21 hits. Uh, the 21 is the only thing that's going to hit. Okay. 19. Okay. He takes the full 19. Well, I suppose this is a better place. The outside is a better place for a fight than the inside with falling yeah. marble columns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that it will not get its breath weapon back. And the new saving throw, it is figuring out that this is an illusion because it gets a 22. Yeah, it turns it. around but, uh, and it's like, what, what, what happened? Damn, I still can't breathe poison. Also, that wasn't real. <laughs> and now I'm really mad. <laughs> so I can maintain concentration on the illusion. Can I attack but make it look like the illusion is attacking? You can fire through the illusion, yes. So I, I think the illusion speaks again and says, That wasn't very nice. Of course no one wants you if you can't play nicely. Silpha's gonna ray of frost. <laughs> does 23 hit? Yeah, yes, it does. Okay, I think ray of frost is still doing 2d8 damage, correct? Yes, but it's going to do 48 damage because it's vulnerable to cold. Okay, so just double what I get. Yay. Yay. Four. So it takes a mighty eight damage. <laughs> Better Still than takes damage. <laughs> what does it look like when the dragon dies? Whoa! Really? Oh! 228. That was it, huh? <laughs> mm -hmm. What? The Thorns Fairy appears to have slain this dragon that just seizes its motion and then just crumples and implodes inward into like this just pile of ice and sticks and from a across the hall you hear in the fairy queen's voice it just booms as it rolls through as she actually says words with her mouth well that was interesting <laughs> do we all have to duck for cover from her voice <laughs> and you can see the pillars start to pick themselves back up and fit themselves back together. The pieces of marble masonry just sort of drift back up and assemble into the ceiling. I turn back into Sable and pick up whatever's left of that thing. It's withered into a this sort of dead bramble pile that is, oddly enough, weirdly heart-shaped. But it's big, so you can pick it up, but it's, it, it's effort. I'm bringing it back to Mirkwood. Yeah, you can feel it, like, pulse a little bit. It, You don't think it's dead dead? But it's inert. Yep. You walk back in and sort of Mirkwood picks it up and says, thank you. If anyone can keep a heart safe, I would think it would be you. I will do what I can. 
My queen, that concludes our deal. Your heart is exchanged. And what does Mirkwood's heart look like? It looks more like wood still, but it's taken on a more three-dimensional shape, and it seems to be, be pulsing. And Mirkwood always seemed to be confused by his human heart. That confusion seems to have cleared up. He seems more coherent than he has in the past. And the Fairy Queen says, well, I believe we have one more piece of business to attend to. You wanted to negotiate something, champion of House Mason and ambassador of the King of Fenrir? How does the Queen look? She looks exactly the same, but she's speaking slower than she was before. So she seems to be spending more effort choosing her words. But unlike Yennefer, she doesn't seem as discombobulated. She's not overwrought with... Giving her a human heart doesn't make her human. I mean, I guess we could say her heart was overwrought and we just killed it. (laughs) (laughs) That heart needs some healing. Mm -hmm. I think we need to write so the fairy queen gets therapy into this new agreement, (laughs) given the state of her heart. (laughs) The fairy queen's just sort of waiting for someone to to bring this deal forward. Miev, because she couldn't share in your mind link, doesn't know what the deal is, so she's not the one who does it. I'm going around to where Marigold is, if I can. Defaulting to court protocol, the ambassador from the king would outrank the champion of House Mason. So she will look to Drossel to to lead. Drossel nods and says, Yes, we would like to open negotiations. We would like to renegotiate the long-standing pact between House Mason, the king of Fenrir, and your grace. Thus, we can give it a fresh start and remove the bane that plagues the land. We would also like to discuss adding to this a number of provisions. I believe we can go around and discuss those provisions now. The King of Fenrir's provision is that you withdraw your mystical power from the land, bring it back into fairy, and refrain from pulling this realm of Fenrir into the fairy lands. And then he looks over at Silpha. And Silpha will curtsy deeply, address the fairy queen formally in the way that she has heard Sable address her, because she assumes that using all of those names is the most correct and appropriate way to address the fairy queen. And I think at this point, you implied that we can kind of manipulate the the magic in the air around us, right? Yep. I think Silpha wants to not so tacitly indicate to the fairy queen that she's negotiating with a very different type of mason champion. And uh, so that she's still wearing the, the strange outfit that we got in the in-between. Mm-hmm. But the little little capelet expands and it becomes this, I think because she's married into House Mason, the appearance of her wings is a little different. These are like dark wings with large red eye spots and white spots at the, the bottom that, that kind of imply like skeletal hands in a spooky way. And then she announces herself, I am Lady Silpha Lunari Mason, speaking as the champion of House Mason today. And what are the demands of House Mason to reestablish this broken agreement? I think she's trying to surprise her, so she'll say, Not demands, my lady. First, an apology. That does surprise her. Uh, you you see a, a look of confusion sort of roll over her face, which, considering how hard it was to read her before, is very surprising. 
I was not born into House Mason, but I have come to an awareness that in its history, House Mason has committed a great number of atrocities. It's also my understanding that the house is now freed from the malign influence of undead, and I hope to maintain it in that way. She will quote directly passages from the agreement that we read in the library, and she's doing so in a really careful way. Too. She wants to demonstrate that she has she thoroughly understands and has read this agreement and the terms and what had to have transpired in order to create the backlash of the thorns. But she's very deliberately not making any sort of insinuation of guilt, wrongdoing or guilt. Yes. And go ahead and roll me a persuasion brawl. You have advantage given the circumstances. But my shoes too. <laughs> and her shoes. Oh yeah, you are at a party. It, it was a party. <laughs> Party that turned into a uh, fight. It counts. Too. It counts. <laughs> that was really good. One of those was a 17. So 17 plus 6. 23. Yes. She nods and says, I find it unusual, but I find it difficult to hold a grudge against House Mason in this moment. I won't say that all is forgiven, but I would entertain a change in terms. Perhaps I can assist in keeping the vampiric menace out of your house. My lady, to the best of my knowledge, there are no more vampires that exist within House Mason within the kingdom of Fenrir. It is your recommendation, then, that we shift our terms to neutrality with House Mason. Yes, and additionally, if there are any remaining undead heirs to the lineage of House Mason, you have my full support in eradicating them. Hmm. This is very acceptable terms. Are there any other terms we need added? Silpha will say, yes, after your forces assaulted House Mason, I learned that fetches were created of members of the household. There are none left. Then if there are none left and you will cease your animosity towards the living members of House Mason, you have met the minimum conditions I would ask for. We can work this into the new agreement, or simply remove the language of House Mason from the old one. Do you have a preference? This is out of character. Remind me what the language of House Mason was in the... So, basically, House Mason was in here for a non-aggression pact. Mm -hmm. So you can either remove them, thus making them irrelevant to the Fairy Queen, or you can add to this agreement a change in terms that you just outlined, which makes them very relevant to the Fairy Queen. So the, the terms you laid out end up being very neutral. So the Fairy Queen has asked if you just want out. Yes, Silpha would like out. Then there would be no need for any like future designation of a Mason to carry on this role or anything. What Silpha was in effect doing was also protecting House Mason from the influence of undead. There may be a far more powerful lich or vampire out there. So the, ch the choice you have then is the Fairy Queen will join you in protecting the house from the undead if you stay in the contract. Or you can effectively leave it, and you don't get that, but it, you've seen the negative consequences of being in a supposedly positive relationship mm -hmm. with the Fairy mm -hmm. Queen. I would point out that backing out of the agreement takes out negotiating power from House Mason. So I think that that's the trade-off. Like you, you, you would be permanently removing House Mason from having a say in these agreements. 
Yeah, I think Sofa is ready for houses not to be bound by ties. If individuals want to tie themselves to things, that's another matter. So so to, to go back then for the roleplay portion of this, Fairy Queen basically says, is your ask then to remove House Mason from the agreement going forward and to become entirely neutral? Yes, if that is an option you are presenting, then I should like House Mason to be entirely neutral. With the previous champion out of the picture, I think these are terms I could agree to. Are there any other terms? That's when Sable would say to Marigold, my matron, before she her life was ended, gave the circle to me to oversee. The circle had become nothing more than vying for power with each of the druids fighting to get the best deals with the fairy queen. It wasn't a druid circle anymore. I'd like to change that. Marigold looks to the fairy queen and says, I would be interested in signing on to this agreement to remove your obligations to the circle of the moon. I think it's time we moved past the days of Fenrir here in the fairy realm. And the, the queen just offers a, a nod. She doesn't say a word. And Marigold looks at you and says, I think we've agreed. Those who have made deals with the fairy queen on behalf of their desire to be in the circle or to have power in the circle? Can they be released from these if they wish? And I'm saying that kind of looking at both of them. Marigold looks at the fairy queen and the fairy queen says, at this juncture, there is only one deal left. Yeah. And I would like to keep it. I think she would too. Very well then. And they look around the room at Miev and Miev says, with this established, the thorns will be gone. The kingdom will be open. I'm ha quite happy with that outcome. Um, and then they look at Jalen, who hasn't said anything yet. I'm trying to figure out how to frame this. Get your hands off my guild, bitch. <laughs> well, there's that. There's that. But there's actually a bigger picture thing she's thinking about. And she says, lady, when the thorns come down, we will be facing an outside world that will be hostile to us. And... I feel like it would be mutually beneficial to both Fenrir and Fae if we were united in the event that hostilities are visited upon Fenrir. The queen looks at Drossel, and Drossel says, The king would find it most appealing if we were in agreement that should war bands enter the lands of Fenrir, we could rely upon all of the local Fae to enforce, like a militia. And the, the queen sort of taps her fingers and says, in other words, my servants would be able to stay in Fenrir if they so choose, provided that they come to the aid of the kingdom if it is under attack. And Drossel says, I think that would be perfectly acceptable. She leans back and says, all right, are there any other terms? And Drossel will then add, And in order to prevent a recurrence of this incident, we would like to specify that all negative consequences for breaking of the agreements fall directly on the people responsible for breaking the agreement, and not to the entity under discussion as a whole, that being the kingdom of Fenrir. Yes. Jalen nods. And the fairy queen says, I think we can agree to that. But there are a few terms here that are missing. This sets us to a much more neutral stance. This I can agree to. It withdraws a great amount of power from the realm that I have. However, the benefits to me are not quite sufficient. And then she sort of touches her chest lightly and says, there is something I want 
and you see confusion cross her face, <laughs> and she says, I want Mirkwood and Sable to stay with me. Jalen looks over at Sable. For how long? This is the negotiation, child. My opening offer is forever. Do you choose to counteroffer? Mirkwood just looks at you. He's waiting for me, huh? He seems like he's going to agree to whatever you agree to. I say half of forever. I will spend six months of time that is real <laughs> to mortal my realm world, time. to the mortal realm with you and an equal amount in the mortal realm. We can adjust that however you like. Per annual cycle. I yes. But it, that annual cycle is going to move like it moves in the real world. <laughs> per mortal annual cycle, then. Yes, we can adjust that as we see fit, but that is guaranteed. And she says, very well. A family we will have, and that will be the benefit I gain. I guess with these terms struck, there is only one thing left for us to do. And she sort of leans in and says, Well, you all have a choice to make, don't you? Our heroes emerge together from the fairy gate in the land of Fenrir. Two seasons have passed and the snow of winter is gone, replaced with the heat of summer that has not come to this land in a thousand years. The thorns that blotted out the land are gone without a trace, as if they never were except for the giant beasts that roam these forests. A deep path is cut through the grasses, leading from the town to this raised dais in the middle of the forest, as if a line of people have come here nearly every day, because that's exactly what they did. A small camp sits quiet in the gentle summer breeze. There, waiting for our heroes to return, is just a few people who never lost faith in the victory of our heroes. Of their heroes. Leslie Evans has taken the day off work as the spymaster, and sits quietly reading in the shade. Byron Mason and his children Annabelle and Toby read from a storybook together. Lynn Pornino and Kylan Evans toss knives playfully, as they happily let Jessica Evans win, while her husband Iris prepares lunch over the campfire with Hanzo Lunari. Riley Miev sits patiently honing a sword and eyeing the forest, waiting on the return of his sister talking calmly with a priest from the church, named Cass, who watches the skies. The druids are nowhere to be seen, unless, of course, you know what to look for, as a dozen animals rest in the trees, the branches, and the brush, waiting for their archdruid to return. With the fairy queen's influence gone, her stranglehold on the power of animal shape-shifting is also gone, and the druid's true power has emerged. In the bushes, we know there is a snake named Cora a fox named Thalia, a tiger named Helena, a bear named Yennefer, a sheep named Carolina, and a pack of wolves whose furry faces we all recognize. As our heroes step from the dais to the grass below, our kingdom is whole once more. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the scene based on some ideas that you kind of put out okay. there and we talked a little bit about. It is winter yep. in Fenrir. It's been about a year since the thorns have come down. The area around Tree, this ancient willow, is completely clear now. Anybody can visit Tree who wants to. Yeah, but I've made it a sacred grove, so like it's got an altar there. And I think the Circle of the Moon is a more open place now, too, mm -hmm. right? So like 
there are more people who come and join you for rituals and prayers who may not be bona fide druids. And this ritual would be one of those that is definitely open for other people to come and watch if they want. And at the base of the tree, there's an altar. Do you keep the Fairy Queen altar or do you get a new one? I'm going to keep the the Fairy Queen altar. I mean, I think that we have recognized that this is not just a worship of the Fairy Queen anymore. So we still have that altar, but there's a lot of things that have been added to it. This is a, a circle of the moon dedicated to like concepts of survival and the seasons and the natural flow of time. Mm-hmm. We're more accepting of the fact there is a part of us that is no different than the rest of nature. That whole concept of the beast within man is still there. It's just, it's literally an acceptance of our natures. And next to the altar, there is a, a coffin. And it's clear there's a bunch of charm ritual markings that have been marked into it that correspond to the gentle repose spell. So mm-hmm. this body has been held in stasis so that you can do this reincarnation yourself. You hear a rustling from the tree uh, and mm-hmm. he's as usual very long-winded so imagine this even slower but he says okay. sable it would seem that some of your acquaintances are requesting permission to enter the grove i believe it is messenger and whistles do they have permission to enter oh yes if they want to attend the ritual they're welcome and the trumpeters Oh, why not? Okay. And the branches rumble. You see a little displacer beast kitten. Blink, blink, blink. What? (laughs) You know, about twice the size of a house cat, but still hasn't made it to full grown. Wanders in and has these big eyes and its mouth opens and the voice hasn't changed at all. (laughs) Hello, Sable. Oh my goodness. I crouch down. And look at the little kitten and say, you have changed, messenger. My old shell expired, so I was given a new one. Do you like it? My coat is so soft. Can I feel? Mm, Only one pet. Oh, you are lovely. Thank you. There aren't so many deals to be made anymore, but I'm here just in case. Mm -hmm. And the little kitten sort of stumbles over to the tree. (laughs) Like, it's not paws are a little too big. It's it's just struggling. It's in a gangly phase. Yep. (laughs) And then you hear two trumpets blare. Announcing whistles! (laughs) And whistles says, oh boy. Oh, boy. I'm here. Yes, uh, Lorelei's coming with the last of your reagents. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so glad. Everybody, everybody's coming? Do you have any idea of how many we are expecting? Well, I know she plans on bringing Cass, Helena, Ophelia, and Ophelia's decided to bring her children. Oh, nice. Now that the, um, well, the, the big boss is no longer around. <laughs> anyway, do you need do you need anything before we do this? It's This is exciting. Did you bring the ritual knife that I asked for? Yes, I did. And he pulls this tiny, tiny knife out of his tiny, tiny pocket, and it immediately grows to about the size of a normal knife. And he says, for you, milady. Thank you. Sable looks a little different, so... As you see people sort of tromping through the snow to come up here, one or two of them probably haven't seen you since you came back from the Feywild and since you made your choice. What what does Sable look like now? Sable is still the kind of 
wisp of a being that she's always been, but she is no longer wrapped completely. She is wearing gloves because it's cold outside, but she's wearing autumn-colored clothes, so an autumn-colored tunic and pants and some solid boots, that sort of thing. But her face is completely visible, and though she has like a, a shawl kind of thrown over her hair, you can see that her hair has gone from that dark, dark color that it was to very nearly white, and her skin is quite pale. Her her eyes have gone to an ice blue. So I think when Ophelia walks in, she's she's got two kids with her. They both look about 12. They're a pair of girls. And they come in and stand in kind of awe at this willow tree inside its branches and just sit down very politely. And Ophelia says, Sable, your, your hair is um very different. I love what you've done with it. <laughs> it, it kind of did it itself, although I do appreciate it. I think it goes with the eyes now. It definitely pulls the whole look together. You probably remember my kids. Yeah, have you introduced them to Tree? Oh, no, this is their first time meeting Tree. Following up from behind them is Cass and Helena. Mm-hmm. They appear to be playfully arguing about something, but they both are holding individual reagents and ungents for this reincarnate spell. Yeah, they're not getting a choice. They're getting hugs. How does it feel to be able to hug somebody now? Like, that's very different for your character. I would say that the first time that it happened, she was very, very cautious. And I would say probably Helen is the first person that she did this with. So now when she has the opportunity to hug people that she is comfortable with, she takes it at every chance. Got it. Helena and Cass are people who she is comfortable with, so she just goes in for a hug without giving them any choice. Yennefer and Cora show up with sort of the last of the reagents. Mm-hmm. Cora says, yes, Archidruid, and takes the reagents and goes to set them next to the altar. And Yennefer says, well, I'm happy to see you doing so well. You look so healthy. Thank you, Yennefer. I, I appreciate it. I, I haven't seen you in a while. How are things here in, in your circle? We're excited to have Wu back. I think this is a turning point for us, a really solidifying moment for our community. If he agrees to return, yes. And of course, if he doesn't, we'll respect his choice. Cora steps up and says, hey, Sable. Hi, Cora. This is really exciting. It's so cool that you've learned how to cast the spell. It's it's kind of a big deal. You're ready to assist me in everything. Yeah, yeah. I brought the notes, and I'm going to try to do it from memory, but I have the notes as backup. Is that okay? Of course, yes. I don't think anyone's ever done this without notes. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm Well, I'm ready. I'm ready. We're going to do this. We're going to do this right. Okay, I'm excited. Okay, so I'm going to jump forward a little bit to... Because mm-hmm, it takes an hour. Yeah, pass through the, <laughs> the casting of this spell, but... About 45 minutes into this casting, you have a vision, and you see Wu. He looks younger, healthier, more vibrant in whatever place he finds his soul in these days. And he's surrounded by this meticulous garden. Everything is growing beautifully in some kind of bizarre order that isn't quite natural. And you see Wu look at you and give you this sort of soft smile. And you can hear his voice in this vision as he says... Sable, you're calling me back. Master Wu, I feel you did not get a fair chance at this life. In your own strange way, I think you wanted to help me. I did, but I realized that my methods were a mistake. The very thing I sought to prevent in this world, that creature would have chosen methods like the ones that I decided to employ. I paid for that mistake, perhaps appropriately. It's flattering that you would 
call me back after what I did, why would you like me to return to you? I don't call you for myself. I, I call you for your circle, for the people who looked to you and learned from you. You were a master of our craft. I hate that being lost. The druids of Fenrir would welcome your return. I will return, but at the risk of sounding too much like a fairy, I have a condition. <laughs> I have heard that a lot. I made a mistake, and I would like a chance to make it up to you. I don't know how I'm going to make it up to you, but I did you wrong, and I'd like to fix it. Coming back and helping the druids learn, that will be a good start. I think I'd like to see a world without thorns. Well then, take my hand. Let's find you a vessel. The leaves rustle and the snow pull together, and a body sort of forms from the elements. And it's, it's a man, and as he comes together and his feet land in the cold snow, he stands up. Cora will have had a robe ready for him, so like the moment that his feet touch ground... She would step forward and, you know, put the robe around him. Sable is going to put her hands out to him to take his and say, Steady now. Baby steps, Master Wu. These are new legs. For Jalen, how far in the future are we? Uh, we're ten years after the thorns came down. And do you want to give us just a quick summary of kind of what Jalen's life has been like in those 10 years? Yeah, so she and Lynn got married. The first few years after the Thorns came down were very busy. She was establishing the new legal guild, and she was starting up the orphanage with Mel from the Lunaria estate. And she was also helping Leslie and Harriet establish their spy network outside of the kingdom in the relations that started to happen with the Northern Kingdom. Once the orphanage got rolling and kind of started sustaining itself, she more or less got hands off with that. Although every year they graduate the 12 year olds to various guilds and households according to their talents and proclivities. And Jalen really makes a point of being in town and present for that day because that's really important to her. After a few years, she and Lynn had kids, mostly because I, Mandy, wanted to name them. They have a son named Kylan Jacob, who is about seven years old at this point. They have two twin girls named Gisesley Silfa and Dova Sable. The twins are about four, and they have also adopted a child out of the orphanage, who is also about four, in the Evans family tradition of a future guild leader. And they named that child after Lynn's parents, because that's Jalen's idea of a sick joke. Let's do our scene that's going to be like the morning of the sort of orphanage sorting ceremony. We're at House Evans. Lynn and Lord Evans are there. Your kids are there. Kylan is there. Uh, your favorite servant, Helga, from the kitchen is there. And you've just got back into town from some sort of meeting with clandestine folk out in probably Turtle Bay, one of the far-off port cities. Yeah, I see I see her, like, she got in at 2 a.m., crawled into bed, and Lynn woke up to a wife. <laughs> the kids have said their hello to you earlier, but you've come in and sat down for breakfast, and the, the children are sort of surrounding one half of the table. And Helga walks in and just slaps down this big pile of paperwork in front of you. And Jalen says, what the hell? <laughs> Late Lady Evans, the um, the assessment scores arrived from Thomas Jury this morning. He wanted you to get a look at them before the ceremony. 
Okay, I have what, an hour? Okay, she takes half the pile, she slaps the other half in front of Lynn. So I think Lynn picks up this stack of papers <laughs> and says, Well, this is a change of pace. Your father's had me running inventory the last couple of days, and he starts flipping through the sheets. Now you get to inventory 12-year-olds. Great. <laughs> and he immediately filters out four sheets, and he's like, ooh, I think these would be good for House Pornino. Great. And she rifles a few and says, this is riffraff for Jessica and Iris to take charge of. This is riffraff for the guild. Here's some for the carpenters. And she just starts sorting through these papers and she's going fast i think kylan walks in and sits down and the grandkids all give him this sly look oh, and you see them all sort of reach their hands under the table simultaneously and you're pretending not to notice as they all pull up little chocolates and start nibbling on them mm -hmm. so yeah they're covered in chocolate almost instantly mm -hmm. like everything is sticky yeah. i think she glances up and says oh camouflage practice Kylan sort of clears his throat and says, yeah, something like that, something like that. Um, hey, good to see you back, kiddo. Good morning, yeah, good to be back. So, I guess I'm getting a new batch of runts, right? What do you, what do you got for me? Uh, I got four for you, yeah, they should, they should keep your hands full. Although I need you to come with me next week. Okay. I need to dress you up like a peacock and throw you in with a pack of barons to scandalize their wives, and then you and I are going to go to a shithole bar and cause a brawl. You down? Okay. This sounds like you've got it all thought out. I'm in. It'll be fun. It's better than my old line of work. Right. He pulls up these four sheets and flips through them and says, Oh, now this one's got potential. You can already pick locks. That's that's nice. Yep, he can pick locks. You just got to teach him how to steal silently because apparently he has a big mouth. Yeah, okay. I can work I can work a little, uh, little bit of those closing up of the chompers you know what i mean lynn are you coming along or are you gonna look the other way I mean, what's what's your what's your goal today and i think lynn's like hey this is how we do it it's all legal now right all above the board everything your family wanted right <laughs> i don't think father will be showing up today he doesn't have as much chocolate as their other grandpa he won't blend in <laughs> no helga comes back in and hands you a letter and says, uh, this is from your sister. She took time to write a letter? This is from Leslie. It's from Leslie. Okay. Yeah, well, it was probably that or come here. And, you know, she's very busy. Busy, yes. Okay. She opens up the letter and sits back. Welcome back to town. Things are going well. I'm expecting my third child in about three months. It would be a delight if you would visit in about three months. <laughs> says, all right, well... Lynn, we're going to go visit Leslie and Harriet in three months. Lynn nods and says, okay. I can't believe how well they're getting along. Yeah, nobody's more surprised than I am, but I guess you, you got to make it work. You make it work, right? I mean, you and I work. That, stranger things have happened. You have an advantage. You have a really cute butt. Oh, is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think one of your kids says, ew. Is that one ours? Yeah. yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I can't kick them out, can I? No. Oh, well, fine. I guess we'll keep you. Helga says the carriage is ready if you're ready to head over to the orphanage. Yeah, yeah, okay. She uh, she sits forward and she gathers up all the papers and says, um, can we take coffee with us? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've uh, I've made you a, a pot. A whole pot to take into the carriage with us. Hands you a, some sort of... The medieval version of a to-go mug. Kylan, please wipe off their hands before they get in the carriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, 
he sort of pulls up a, a hanky and starts just dipping it in random waters on the table and smearing chocolate everywhere on the kids. Right. Well, at least it's evenly distributed now. So Ky- Kyle and Jacob, let's assume he maybe takes after Granddad a little oh. a little aggressively. Oh, shit. So as as Kyle and Jacob is preparing to leave, you you do notice that his little six year old boots have a knife in each boot. Mm-hmm. KJ, what you doing? What you doing with those? Um, what do you mean? I mean, those way down your feet, so you can't be light footed in those. So what are you doing with them? You carry knives in your boots. Yeah, but I'm grown up and I get to do what I want. I. Could be too. You could let me do what I want. I could. I could also be your mom and look out for your safety and be a big buzzkill. Can I see those? Gives you a a frowny face and pulls out his two little knives. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kylan has started the same tradition he had with you, but he pulls out two and you recognize them. They have the beautiful hilts that Kylan always commissions. So so he's giving them one every year for their birthdays. Yep. All right. So she she tests them against her thumbnail to make sure he has dulled them down. It seems your 7-year-old has figured out how to sharpen knives. All right. She goes to the side of the house where there's some stonework in the foundation. She runs the blades across the stones a few times to dulling them down. There you go. That should work to cut butter. Your kid sort of just frowns at you and says, "It's going to take me hours to fix this." I know. And I'll know exactly what you're doing. It'll be great. The the 4-year-olds all pile in they're dressed in their nice clothes Mm -hmm. to go to sorting hat day Mm -hmm. lynn sits into the back of the carriage helga's driving kylan hops out and sits with the driver lord evans waves you off he's getting pretty old actually Mm -hmm. your cart's pulling away and you see jessica who is just hugely pregnant Mm -hmm. with with like her sixth child right like they're gonna have so many kids. They have, they have to they have to crew a pirate ship someday. <laughs> someday, yeah. No, she's like she's like eight and a half months along. Uh-huh. But you see her husband sort of leading two horses, walking alongside of her uh-huh. as she catches up, and she's like, "Oh, good, jeez, I thought I was gonna be late." Good God, we have a hippopotamus. Hey, hey, watch your mouth. <laughs> I could still kick your ass. I can't see my mouth. I can't watch it. Sorry, hippo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You just you you say that again in about. Six weeks, and I'll beat the crap out of you. I look forward to it. (laughs) She kind of leans in and says, make room for your aunt. Jalen pulls one of the four-year-olds into her lap, puts another four-year-old in Lynn's lap. (laughs) Oof, boy. This is is getting to be tough. You need a hand there, Mama? No. No. No, I do not. Okay. All right. Iris? And Iris sticks his head in and says, yes, my queen? (laughs) You're going to take care of the horses, right? Anything you want, my dear. That's right. And Jessica sort of leans back and says, so the smuggling tunnel's going really well. Great. I got some diggers to give you. Good. Yeah, I could use some more diggers. Also got some smooth talking little thieves to give you. Nice. I'll take them. <laughs> Sweet. I'll take them. Sweet. How many, how many this year? Three. I get a little distracted if there's like four. Yeah, I, I thought that would be enough for you to handle. I mean, baby coming and all. Do any of them fight yet? I'm sure you'll you'll get them there. Okay, yeah, this is good. <laughs> this is great. And she sort of settles in for the ride, complaining about the bumps the whole way. 
we're going to do a wedding, I believe. How many years in the future is this for Silpha? I imagine that it takes place about 20 years in the future, since Annabelle's only two years old when Silpha and Byron become engaged. That's a long time. Can you tell me a little bit about what Silpha's life has been like in those 20 years? In the time immediately following the disappearance of the Thorns, Silpha and Byron have a ceremony exchanging their vows, followed by a big celebration because we know Vanessa Lunari wouldn't let Silpha get away with anything less. And then Silpha helps with the establishment of the orphanage, and then she would take up the first opportunity to travel outside the kingdom, and she and Byron act as ambassadors for Fenrir while the kingdom reestablishes ties with the neighboring territories in the northern kingdom. And they end up lending their talents to furthering the Lunari family interests in Turtle Bay. And now they split their time each year between the two places. Silpha and Byron eventually merge their passions into their own business together, running a workshop with about a dozen apprentices. And the workshop crafts magic items for trade and offers spell services. So Silpha chose human, right? Silpha chose to be human. And so Silpha probably looks a little bit different. So the most noticeable physical difference about Silpha is that she now has normal, very expressive human eyes, which are dark. She retains some of her unusual features like her white blonde hair and her unusually pale skin, which has more of a rosy hue to it. So let's get into the scene a little bit here. So it's a wedding. You're seated in the front row. You've got Byron next to you. You've got your two younger kids who are probably in their teens sitting with you, and you're making up the sort of Mason Lunari side of the service, which is in the big outdoor Mason gardens. On the opposite side, there is just a a sea of orcs and half-orcs that represent the groom's side of this marriage. And standing up there, looking really awkward next to the groom, is the groom's best man, which is Toby who's nervously fidgeting with his big, delicate butterfly wings and sort of watching the crowd and sort of has this panicked, stage-fried look on his face. Next to him, of course, is the bride and the groom, and Annabelle has grown into a tank of a woman. She is all muscle and magic. Instead of going for the white dress, there's a fire motif running up it and looking just proud as hell is this barbarian chieftain in massive furs. Officiating this wedding is Cass, who is now in her 50s. She is still a priestess of the storms, which this barbarian loves, and his family is so thrilled about. And we hear Annabelle say, I do. And Cass says, well, looking at the groom, you may kiss the bride. Before he goes in to give her this big kiss, Annabelle puts a finger to his to his mouth and takes her bouquet of flowers and steps out like she's going to throw it into the audience and turns and just beams it directly into Toby's chest. Toby grabs it and flails and goes, ah, ah, no, no, and throws it into the orc section where a burly orc woman grabs it and then starts making eyes at Toby. Annabelle and her suitor have gone in for the kiss. And with that, the crowd erupts into applause. It's a party. Uh, Lots of people up talking to the bride and groom, but lots of people come to talk to Silpha as well. So I think Silpha is very much proud mother. She's beaming. Lady Mason of House Mason, who is now in her late 60s, early 70s, comes 
stomping up to you and and says kind of under her voice like silpha i cannot believe you let her go through with this wedding i was thinking that my daughter is an intelligent capable woman and her choice of partner is up to her and they clearly make each other very happy and if you want a more pragmatic viewpoint this establishes ties with the tribes of the southern kingdoms besides if I always did what my mother wanted me to do, I would never have met your son. She gives you a polite but frustrated smile, and a hand reaches up and touches her shoulder, and she turns to see Leslie and Harriet are there with their three kids. And Harriet says, now, Lady Mason, he's technically royalty, so this is a wonderful pairing. How about you go uh, see how the Lord Frikers is handling his wine? Lady Mason will nod and say, yes, Lady Mentor, and turn and stride away. Leslie will pop up on her tiptoes and plant a kiss on your cheek and say, this is a beautiful ceremony, Sophie. You did a wonderful job. Your mother's positively outdone herself. Thank you. I agree. We should probably talk a little bit about that exchange program we've been planning. Both of, she'll turn around and point at the two older teenagers, have quite a talent for magic, and I do think your business is really the right place for them to enter a journeyman experience. Oh, yes. I would be delighted to host any of your children anytime. And you know, Phoenix would be really excited about spending a summer with you in court. Leslie gets very excited and says, I would love that. Mm, I do have very serious matter to discuss with you. Oh? She has a faux serious face. You know, I think that your title is under threat. That is to say, your title of cleverest person in the kingdom. Rowan is showing a lot of talent. Leslie says, oh, Rowan. Yeah, Rowan's quite the busybody and has taken to my penchant for illusion magic. I don't suppose you'd have room for them to spend just a little bit of time away from court, you know. Court is a very insulated place. I'd like it if they had a, some experience outside of it. Oh, yes, that can absolutely be arranged. Rowan, you're going to fit in perfectly, and you will just adore the city. Rowan nods and says, thank you. Thank you, Lady uh, Lunari. I, I'm very excited. At which point, Vanessa strides up, and she says, Silpha, have you seen your father around? I keep losing track of him with the children. A group of the children was thinking they were going to go collect hydroscales from the western quarry, them, but I think he was trying to keep an eye on them. That sounds like your father. You know, before you leave town again, we really should have a bit of a chat. Just bookmark this for later. Hmm? Your father says he's going to take me to see the Feywild before I get too old to travel, you know. And, well, when that happens, I think we're going to need you to take over the house officially. It's an honor and I'm prepared for it. I will see that things are coordinated with our relatives in the bay as well. Good. Thank you. I can't have them stirring up trouble. Well, I need to run along. I'm pretty sure young Thomas's children are already into the cake. A swarm of children have hit the dessert table. There's like ten of them just circling this thing like sharks. And you can see Thomas and Meg scolding them sort of half-heartedly, trying to keep them from sticking their fingers directly into the icing. And meanwhile... You see Annabelle scoop two kids up under her and starts walking towards you. And you see the Drury kids are kicking wildly as she steps up and sets them down and they run happily screaming away. And Annabelle says, Mom, Mom, before you go, so I'm thinking 
tomorrow, I would really love if we could like throw some fireballs around the quarry, just like one one last time before I got to go to the Southern Kingdoms. Sylpha gets an enormous ear-to-ear smile. Of course we can. And then she turns to some scribe apprentice. Cancel all my afternoon meetings for tomorrow. I'm going to be bonding with my daughter. The scribe says, yes, ma'am. And Byron says, you'll be safe, right? And Annabelle gives him this big grin and says, you're always worrying, Dad. Don't worry about it. That's my girl. My safe and well-behaved girl. Sylpha will lean in to kiss Byron and say, don't worry, that's my job. Besides, you know we've raised them all to be safe and responsible. And then around the same time, (laughs) she will like whirl around and where's Zephyr? Byron will sort of jump and start spinning around looking for Zephyr. Sylpha just closes her eyes for a moment, opens them back up, and then misty steps halfway across the crowd to where some children are gathered, watching a child who looks like... A perfect merging of Zilpha and Byron, who is doing something dangerously acrobatic involving a knife. Zephyr Lunari Mason, you need to find a better activity. I am not going to have you responsible for putting out your eye or someone else's. Yeah, yes, Mother. And we see Zephyr kind of look down at his feet and says, Scrix, I know you're there and I know you told. <laughs> and Scrix says, Mm-hmm. A little bird told me. Some of you were planning on going on an adventure in the Western Quarry. It's very dangerous, you know. So you should take this. She hands off a sack. There's some snacks and a healing potion, a sending stone. Please let us know if you're going to be out late, and a sweater in case it gets cold. And Zephyr gets this big smile and says, thanks, Mom. And Skrix says, I'll follow them. (laughs) Thank you, Skrix. And they dart out of the crowd. Our heroes are gathered near the mortal side of the fairy gate. It has been about 25 years, I think. And we see approaching our heroes a number of people from the direction of the castle and a number of people from the direction of the city. Coming from the castle, the new King Fenrir, after the death of the old King Fenrir, King Malak Mentor Fenrir, who was officially adopted when King Fenrir had no children. His wife, Dova Pornino, is alongside of him, dressed for battle, like a royal guard almost. And she is leading a cavalry of Pornino knights, which includes Lynn. And in that entourage is Drossel, looking ancient. He still has his bark skin. He has still not chosen a path between human and fae, but he is getting very, very old. It's like his hundred years as a wolf is starting to catch up with him. As they approach, you can hear Drossel. Queen has agreed. She will be on the other side of the portal. We do not have to leave the portion where the time does not move. This is for safety. And Malak is sort of waving him off a little bit and saying, yes, 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 yes. He turns and says, mother, and a woman rides forward. Now, she seems to be eternally about 40 years old. This is the old Queen Fenrir, the one that you rescued from the castle. Mm-hmm. She is was a changeling who chose Fae, and she has not aged at all. At about the same time, another contingent arrives from town, and that contingent has Yennefer and Wu the two archdruids who are here to ensure that the contract negotiation goes well and preserves some balance. They approach riding creatures that Sable has been taking care of, two giant mole sharks, which really act like big puppies now that they're tame. They're very sweet. They jump from foot to foot. 
and they happily run up to greet you. Aww. And with that, we will open our scene as Malik addresses you and says, Hey, uh, welcome everybody. This is an auspicious day. I don't know if I've announced this yet, but my adopted mother has decided to retire into Fae. Immortality does not suit royalty. And so she has decided to leave. Well, this is the final hour. Any any second thoughts? Any cold feet? We're just going to try to renegotiate exactly what you did last time. Seems to be working. Mm-hmm. Agreed. He nods and says, okay, uh, bring out the stones. And the Pornino knights each produce one of the stone artifacts that open this portal and set them out on the pedestals. And the big portal opens and you quickly slide through it. You pass between this world and the next world effortlessly, even though you know in your heart of hearts there is a middle space. You're not able to perceive it anymore. Right. I like to imagine we like were waving as we step through, just just in case. She hey, <laughs> just in case. And when you arrive on the other side, there's a contingent waiting for you. It is not as big as you'd expected. Most of the time when you visited Fairy, the Fairy Queen has a, an entourage, a massive pool of other fairy nobles that accompany her. She's actually sitting in very plain, human-styled clothes next to Marigold, Varathi, her wife, and next to Mirkwood. And they sort of nod as you approach it. So Malik steps forward and says, Fairy Queen, we have come as negotiated, and I have brought my adoptive mother, your daughter, and the old Queen of Fenrir nods. And the Fairy Queen says, did, did Lady Miev come? And Malik shakes his head and says, no, she's she's still a little bitter about historic events. <laughs> and the queen says, all right, well, I shall have to pay her a visit then. And Malik says, I believe you can't enter the realm still, correct? And the fairy queen says, correct, the fairy queen cannot enter the realm. Which I guess brings me to my pronouncements. I have decided to retire. 200 millennia is sufficient. But there must be a fairy queen. And so, my daughter, I would like to pass this mantle to you. The old queen of Fenrir says, I don't know that I can fill the gap of 200 millennia. And she says, nonsense, it mostly fills itself. <laughs> you are a fae and your nature will change. You will basically be me. And she just nods. And then the queen passes her hand in the direction of the old queen of Fenrir, and she begins to slightly shift form. She gets taller. She immediately looks much more beautiful. She sprouts instantaneously these kaleidoscopic wings, and she looks just like the old fairy queen. And she says, this is your kingdom now, and as such, these mortals are here to negotiate with you. I, on the other hand, need a new name. Sable. Darling, mm -hmm. what would you like to call your mother? I was not prepared for this. Thank you for the honor. I, uh, father, I can't give her mother's name. That would be inappropriate. But is there something that would honor her? Well, your mother's name was Valeria, so how about Valshi? It is a combination of the two. It's as simple as anything. How does that feel to you? She nods. 
and says, The three of us as a family have decided to spend our first few years in retirement in the mortal realm. Sable, you're of course welcome to join us, and I would be honored if, after we spend some time with Lady Miev, you would escort me to Turtle Bay. Silpha, Jalen, you would make excellent tour guides. Jalen says, I'd be happy to take you there, lady. I would be happy to escort you to the city. You may stay with our family for a while while you wait on your transport. Should we send word ahead, or would you rather, um, wing it? I don't know how long it's going to take to reach closure with Lady Miev, but I find in my current state that I cannot let my daughter hate me any longer. Right. Well, when you're ready, I, my sister has a ship. I'm sure she'll take you on it. Excellent. I think Silva, Silva <laughs> gives you kind of a side eye and says, I was going to advise that maybe we make sure that they get on the right kind of transport. Oh, I can't imagine one being more right than Jessica's ship. <laughs> <laughs> that would certainly lend itself to adventure. And I haven't seen it. Owned and crewed by one family. It's great. One family? Just... Do you know how many children they had? <laughs> no! <laughs> Yennefer and Wu step forward and say, We're happy with this development. I think it is time for you to retire. And the Fairy Queen nods and says, There is always a bit of friction between our kind that needs to be resolved. And I think I can do some good if I learn a bit more about how you mortals function. And there's some, some nods around, and Malak says, well, I guess, mother. And he turns to the woman that is now the fairy queen and says, we are here to negotiate. And Malak turns to you all and says, I think we got this. And he sort of gestures at the portal and says, um, I guess you all can get on to your new life. And the fairy queen nods, and Marigold takes her hand, and Mirkwood takes her other hand, and they sort of nod at you three to follow, and they step into the portal. We will definitely follow. Jalen looks at Malik and says, we'd appreciate seeing the terms when they're finished. I'll provide you a copy. Okay. She steps back through. Silpha follows Sable and Jalen out. When you arrive at the other side of the portal, it's just the three of you. You have a few minutes to yourselves. Probably haven't had as much time with my friends as I would like to have, so if it's just us three, and then I will turn to them and smile and say, so tell me, tell me everything. The thieving, murdering, and smuggling empire is running strong. I'm glad to hear this. Not so much on the murdering. I, you know, it just sounds impressive to say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I suppose I understand that. How is the family? Oh, that's good. Kyle and Jacob is just like his grandfather, which I don't know if that's good or not. His twins are coming along and interested in trapping, so that's good. Their other sibling is pretty primed to take on the guild, so I guess I guess we're doing something right. That's excellent. Zilpha, family? Well, as you know, Annabelle got married five years ago, and she's now touring the southern kingdoms. Toby is well on his way to becoming court mage under the guidance of Archsage Mason. And then my two youngest, well, they don't have any interest in wizarding as a profession, but I have plenty of apprentices that are. I am glad to hear it. They're like, well, Leslie and Harriet seem to work against the odds, doing what they love, which is work and power, so... <laughs> <laughs> I would expect absolutely no less. Jessica seems to be slowing down on the childbearing front now that she's 40. 
you know, after 12. <laughs> Sable just shakes her head. You know, she just puts a palm to her forehead and shakes her head. She has like 12 small Jessicas. Uh, well, they're not so small anymore. <laughs> they're actually more uh, her size, which is alarming, but they're usually at sea, so that's good. What a terrifying thought. <laughs> <laughs> yes, fecundity is a blessing that seems to run in certain veins of my family, although it seems to have skipped me. <laughs> it's an insect thing, is it? <laughs> Leslie and Harriet's youngest child expressed a desire to spend some time with us in Turtle Bay, so so Byron and I have been hosting her. She's quite a gifted maid and is interested in our business. Oh, good. How is Byron? Silva gets like a dreamy look. <laughs> okay, okay. okay. <laughs> a prince among men, as always. Aw, look at you being all cheesy. My household is doing well. Good. Lorelai has she she's very different from my matron though there was some settling to do she, they are much more amicable than before sounds like an actual family I don't know I, I spend little time there uh, more time with well my my father and Val she that will take some getting used to and of course on my own tree is doing very well oh good he loves having me there and having his own little opportunity to meet others as they come to me for various assistance. So the portal swirls one last time and out joined arm in arm yet again is Marigold, the previous fairy queen, and Mirkwood. Only this time they are dressed very differently than when they stepped into the portal. Mirkwood is wearing this wild leather jacket. <laughs> nice. The fairy queen is in this truly bizarre looking dress with all these gears and spinny wheels and pinwheels and things like added to it that seems to move by itself. And Marigold is wearing the kimono. Um, and they all look bewildered. And Marigold says... Well, I guess we're off to a new beginning. How is the Sphinx thing? <laughs> fine. They were fine. They said hello. Oh, they remembered. I'm walking up to the Fairy Queen and I'm taking her free hand and I'm going to say, Val, she, I am very proud of you. That makes my heart very happy, Sable. How about we go try to make amends with, I guess, your sister, Lady Miev? That would be delightful. Also, if... I may suggest they make an excellent honey cake in town. Can we pass through town? Absolutely. They still make the honey cake, right, Silva? Yes, the Drury's are renowned for the honey cakes that they make with Lunari honey. Yeah, let's go. I'm starving. I am babbling <laughs> to my friends. I have brought berries from the Feywilds to introduce them to. Like, I have named the berries. I'm like, Brad. Alana. <laughs> 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 these are these are my friends that I told you about. Oh boy, eat me, eat me. And you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> Explaining that she thinks that she might be able to grow a bush. Mm-hmm. And and a lana bush. I don't think that the Brad bush is going to grow here. Mm, but Ray Bradberries are excellent for books. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> And now, the 
end is here My players beat The end game villain It ends After two years Of weekly games We seldom miss them I've rolled A world that's full I fleshed out each back road and highway and more, much more than this. I finished my game. Regrets, I have a few, like letting in. Unearthed Arcana I nerfed When I had to But let them choose The paths they wanted I planned A narrative Lots of side quests And gave them their say and more, much more than this, we finished our game. Yes, there were times, I'm sure they knew, when I was shocked by what they chose to do. But through it all, when I Stuck. I took a risk and made it up. I faced it all and made my calls and finished my game. We fought, we laughed, we cried. They had their win and share of losing one random NPC they somehow found him the most amusing to think they did so much no TPK not in this campaign Oh no, oh no, not them, they finished their game. For what's ADM, what have they got? If not a group, then they have not to take the world that they have made.
Yes, it was our game.